Hey, wait, can we stop for a second? Can we yeah. start this episode? Because that's where we need to yeah, start. Oh, 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 so, oh. We're gonna, oh, cut, yeah, we we're gonna cut all of this and include it in the episode. I'm totally gonna use it. We're we using all this conversation, but we do need an introduction. So wait for a second. Okay, let me just um, go and grab a Diet Coke. Can I go? Grab, grab a Diet Coke. Grab a Diet Coke. Okay. Okay. Mm. I feel like waiting. I, like I know, waiting. I know. I was like, where's the segue? Um... <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to be the boss. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be the boss. Okay, so I'm going to start this and then we're going to start. We're going to start the episode okay. and then we're going to cut in all the things we said. Welcome to Art Lust Podcast, where we make art accessible. I'm Seema. And I'm Sophie. And we're joined by Elio. <laughs> Hello, hello. Before hello. we talk about today's topic, mm-hmm. I want to remind you that we love you all, but can't do the show without your support. So That's we true. beg, we dream, we Help hope. Us go from a lo-fi production to something you actually enjoy seeing in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> so you could do that through a couple of different things. You can subscribe and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, but particularly Apple Podcasts. And mm-hmm. what else can you do to support us, Sophie? You can go onto our Patreon, of which we have a couple of new patrons that happened in the last mm, day. I know! Which I is, know. I'm kind of like, shit, we got to crack the whip and actually start producing stuff now that people seem to care. <laughs> we keep getting people from ends. We keep getting people from NZ. I know. Well, I know. So that was actually, that was my friend Cindy who was our patron and then had to leave and then came back. But we have someone else who just joined for a dollar a a week. I love NZ. I've never really spent too much time thinking about it, but now I'm really into it. (laughs) We also (laughs) made the, we made the charts in South Africa. Oh, we did? That's amazing. Cool. I know. You know what? I think that that might be because... South Africans, I think, have an understanding of whiteness uh, that is very similar oh, to sure. Australians. Um, sure. So I Maybe. wonder if the chat, we got Maybe. like new subscribers after their episode about the West, which I was kind of like, oof, okay. That apparently, I had actually someone message me saying, I really appreciate that you and Seema have conversations that most people are unwilling to have. I was oh, like, oh, what a nice that's awesome. Amazing. That was that's really nice. nice. Yeah. And the West is today's topic. But before yes. we talk about the West, anybody have an artwork that they saw this week they want to share? Oh, shit, I forgot about. We've been. <laughs> Sorry, we've been we talking for the last like, half hour. I'm like, oh, no. Um, Elio, do you have any work that you saw this week as our guest? I didn't see. I didn't see a work per se, but I read an article, a really oh, interesting us. article about um, something that is a part of pieces of art, which mm-hmm. is an article about uh, the the type of houses that are used in films, the type of scouting interesting. locations. Interesting. Uh, and and it and it was about the the recent fixation with the series that you know, like, I am not following because I'm too busy watching cartoons because they're better for my mental health. Uh, I'm a huge uh, cartoon I, I sh- advocate. I should, I should recommend Amphibia. Amphibia in Disney is very, very good. Uh, but um, it was about the houses picked for succession and the uh... process that goes into creating this imagination of how the one, like the fixation that people have now with the 1% and mm-hmm. the choices of the 1% mm-hmm. and from clothing. And what it looks like, yeah. Exactly, and what what is the process of, ch- the, the, the process of choosing um, the houses and the clothing that each individual uses. And for instance, they had a, I think it, the, the one of the main characters, the, the, the parent, the, the 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 parent of succession which is Roy something something uh, yeah. they were explaining how they chose something I think is called the summer palace because they had found that this guy in his uh, history arc he had been a person who started making money in the 60s and the 70s so basically all of the choices that he did when it came to real estate were choices that were still linked with visions of luxury of what was luxury in that particular period and how that helped structure the psychology of the character mm. and how and how that you know and, and it started um with them 
And then afterwards, it ended up being Lucino Visconti, which is one of my favorite, favorite uh, Italian authors uh, who had this amazing practice of uh, creating an environment for his actors to work in, in which these uh, the actors could feel like they were the characters that they were embodying. So for instance, he has this film called The Leopard, which is still one of my favorite films, uh, which is based on an it's work. It's a great by... film. <laughs> it's amazing. And for instance, Burt Lancaster, who plays the main character, the prince, uh, he was speaking about how, you know, like people, when he, he, he took, um, he was taken in for the costume design and for the sets design and so on and so forth. Like all of the the places in which he was acting, like whenever he went to a bedroom and he opened a, a drawer, he would not see something empty. He would know that like a series of shirts that would never be worn had been made on his exact same size to help him accommodate, like adjust to the character. And that this, like the choices that we see on TV series were both um, something as a, a bit of a sop to the, the the people who are fans of the series who want to see meaning on everything, but also a really fascinating view on the lives of the super rich that own those flats because the majority of these flats and of these houses, what we only see is the facade because inside, most of these properties are actually not decorated. They're, mm. They look like the interior of the houses was when it was the 1950s oh. or the 1960s, because there's a lot of families that hold these kind of beautiful lofts in New York and in like oh. beautiful brownstones and so yeah. on and so forth that they just own, but aren't able to renovate. So yeah. the, there is this, there's this loop between between prestige and um, class uh, that goes into, and, and psychology of each character that goes into finding uh, like the locations for all of these sets. So yeah, I found wow. that interesting. Sorry, I just went on a tangent. No, that's that's exactly what we love. We love that's tangents. Exactly the kind of thing that I was so into growing up is like the making of like how they construct visuals in films. Oh, uh, rest. It makes me think of two things. One, yes. I live, I live on uh, in so Cleveland. It looks like a lot of places, so it's often in films, and so we know lots of times where, like, I've told these stories before on this podcast about like randomly seeing famous people or they're making a film like down the street that I'm the the alley that I'm trying to drive through. But it actually makes me think of something else that I did see recently. I don't know if it was this week, but I don't know what the buildings are. But I remember it from I had spent a summer. Um, as an intern at UCL. So I don't know London super well, but I remember like on the oh. Thames, it's on the north, it's like, it's it's these like kind of weird modernist houses, kind of. Do you know what yeah. I mean? They're yeah. like super, like there's a set of them. There's maybe like three or six. And um, they like, they, they, they're, they're like so out of step. They sort of brutalist houses. They're like flats, but they must be like townhouses because yeah. they like have an up and a down. And um, they showed somebody walk going by them. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that like in the 80s when they were built, it was almost an outpost. And now it's like everything is built up around them. And so there's like a city around these like, kind of weird modernist houses. And they showed like the guy had like an exercise something or like he had like a Nordic track, some old exercise-y thing in there. <laughs> and it makes me think about how like like those wealthy people, because like one of the things about Succession that I love is that I read somebody say on Twitter that that guy who's- Because you haven't seen it, right? I haven't I have seen not it seen it. I will <laughs> not see it. it. I will not see <laughs> it because I do not need to know more about the people who are jerks to museum pe staff. Um, but, exactly. But I tried, I tried watching it the other night. I was like, man, I gotta oh, I get can't. some TV while I play Zelda. No, I can't. Uh, no, I got I got through like five minutes and I was like, I'm out. Because like that guy, Alan Ruck, I don't know what his name is. He's the guy who was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They all said that he was Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off who grew up. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. Right. But I would think that he would be the kind of guy who still has his Nordic track and lives in one of those places. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, and then there's like one of the Culkin brothers. I genuinely, because I had no idea what the show was yes. about. I thought it was like yes. a joke comedy show about like child actors coming back because they have all these like actors from that no it turns out it's just stuff about the 80s um 
it's stuff about yeah i just but does it take you know, place in like the wealth 80s? no but it's about no, like no, no. generational oh. wealth oh right yeah, and it's i like i like i'm starting to struggle like i know that this is like <laughs> uh sometimes i've i I remember having this argument with a friend of mine who is, you know, like she's a minority as well. She's uh, she's from um, uh, uh, Arab and Kurdish descent, but we were speaking about representations in films, and I was just saying I cannot be bothered to watch another film about the um, what's the name about the prohibition period, like because oh, for, for me, me it's the uh, World War Two. I can't yeah. handle another World War Two. Yeah, and it's like, or for instance, a, a film like *The Bridge of Spice*. Yes, that's what. Like I was like, mm, yes. middle class, upper middle yep. class American man saves the world, like white yep. people film. Like it's just like, yes. I, like it's it's just so much, and it's like there are so many stories in this world. There are mm -hmm. so many stories, and there are so few people who have the power to be able to make those stories be published that I just cannot be bothered anymore. It's just, I just find it dull and repetitive. And she was just like, but it's a very important period. It's like, no, it's not. Actually, it's not an important period. There are tons of things happening in the world. People like it. People like the aesthetics of it. And it has an operatic feel to it. But mm. we have been covering the same topic for, like, I'm a bit tired of living in other people's imagination. Like yeah. I yeah. spent the yeah. majority of my life, like living in the imagination, in in living as a, like almost as a as a foreign visitor to the imagination mm. of the West. Yeah, you know, like because yeah. I could never see myself reflected there, and right, right. I, don't, I don't care about what people say. Seeing yourself reflected in stuff, you know, like makes you makes you feel better about it. I remember the first time that I saw like Black Panther and I saw a representation mm -hmm. of Africa mm -hmm. as a place with the future, with all of the caveats that it has, because you know, like mm -hmm. you are, you're really representing like the futuristic uh, African nation as a monarchy in which people have to fight to, to be the king. You know, like taking all of that aside, seeing like that scene in which he sweeps into Wakanda in a, in a like a gigantic screen, I felt tears running down my face because I never saw I know. something like that. Like it was, and it was just, I still feel kind of chills passing through my, like just for the memory of the feeling of surprise. Did you go to I the had. movies? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I have to say like, you could not in Cleveland get a ticket opening weekend. Like the tickets, we had to go like to some like East, like way out to get a ticket because every movie theater was always full. Every like I don't I don't know a person of color in America who didn't like go to the movies for the for that opening weekend. Everyone took their kids, and yet the second movie got almost no advertising because they knew that they were going to fill seats anyway. Like, oh really? There was very little advertising about the follow up films. Mm. They like didn't put any money into promoting huh. them. Um, Interesting. It was it was actually we have seen quite, we have like, seen both stock. so many times. Yeah. Um, over, over and over. But I think like, you know, you're talking about this represent about representation and how important that is. And I do think, you know, for me, so we often say this is the little a art world. So the art that I saw this week mm. is, again, not art. I was we were, uh, <laughs> our house had fallen into disrepair because we've had we've had, you know, some things at our house for a couple months. And so hit my husband's cousin was coming over, we had to clean things up. And I was looking here at, there's a book called Ahimsa uh, and the illustrator, I was cleaning and I just like looked mm. and I was looking at this book and it's a book about, it's just an illustrator, um, illustrated book with um, South Asian characters. And I was thinking about one of the things we never, we don't really talk about literally art world as much, um, but illustration and how that oftentimes draws that ability, allows that ability to share these unspoken stories. Mm. Um, and that's the thing I was looking at, but it's mm. sort of the same kind of thing as Black Panther. The reason these things are rising is because there's this, there has been historically, and we, the topic today is that historical force of the West, I would say, mm -hmm. that has, you know, that has subdued any kind of individual story that would not latch onto this kind of overarching Western yeah. dominance. And, Ahimsa, Ahimsa is a great book. So 
but it, the illustrations are beautiful and it's the same sort of feeling you're you know you were saying about watching yeah. like panther it was that's it's that same sort of feeling when yeah. i gave it to my kids that like this is you yeah mm. and that's amazing Speaking That's of which, amazing, Sophie, yeah. are you doing the segue? Uh, no, I was about to just say that I was, <laughs> oh, I was maybe kind of doing a segue with the art that I was looking at this week. Yeah. Which I've been looking at one of my favorite photographers, uh, Dora Kalmus, Madame Dora, mm. who is like kind of mostly unknown to a lot of the fashion world and photo history uh, because she was, I suppose, a Jewish woman working like as a fashion photographer in the 30s as a part of a fashion house that she did with a man so she never really she's had like one museum show uh, after her death uh, that's kind of about it despite the fact that she was very forward thinking and was recreating like Klimt paintings in her photography that's amazing yeah she and Tamara de Lempica the like soft like pre-cubist painter or like post-cubist Fucking, I don't remember. Post? Seema, help us out. <laughs> yeah, okay, I got it. <laughs> so she she and Tamara D. Lempiga were like mates and they influenced each other's work. And like there are most of the photos that we have of Tamara D. Lempiga are from Dora Kelmus. Um, so I was just kind of thinking about, uh, you know, the kinds of artists that are allowed to exist in our narrative of like fashion and history. Ugh. I just love Tamara Dillon-Pika's work so much because it just looks like like yeah. Veronica Lake-style lesbians driving around in cars. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite like, thing ever. The like, sweep just, of their hair is always just oh, incredible. The freedom, I feel. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure T Tamara Dillon-Pika was, uh, was bisexual. Yeah, see, I'm getting That's the thumbs amazing. up from Seema. Like, I've, I've done all my homework. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Had very um, famous affairs with both men and women. Mm -hmm. So I think all of us just pr brought up either art or <laughs> movies um, and and or artists who are resonate with us because we don't see ourselves as majority yeah. culture, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that brings up to the topic of this week, which is that I think Sophie and Elio were talking about the West after our very popular episode of the West. What were you guys talking about? So I like since we recorded that episode, it's because I I made that video an episode it, that grew out of TikTok drama. Yes, so <laughs> the TikTok drama was like my video where I upset white Australians, which I've been meaning to do for quite a while, but. I actually sent that video to Elio very quickly because like I wanted his approval um, <laughs> for the information that I had put <laughs> for the information that I had put out. Um, and it's just kind of I'm still getting comments on there as well. Like I got an interesting comment today, actually, from one girl who I love it when you come across like white people who are willing to like actually discuss how their whiteness functions. But this girl, Natasha, said, I literally only knew we were in the Asia Pacific because of my mum's job title. I never would have known otherwise. Yeah. Like, people, people who are willing to fucking admit that that's how it functions rather than every upset liberal in my comments who's like, that's not what the West means. I'm like, if you're upset, maybe I've touched on something that you need to think about. Like... Anyway. I, just, I just find it I just find it insane Wait, but let's just go back to that comment okay so she didn't know she didn't until know she read but like job title you, but it feels like you know in geography class did you see where you were I feel like we do and then it just becomes like so secondary to like mm -hmm. learning about Australia's place in fucking world war ii and like yeah. anzacs and like Oh, like yeah. Going overseas and fighting fucking Nazis like became yeah. like what and like how Australia sees itself. Right. And how white yeah. Australia sees itself. And I've seen some fucking I saw some like footage from Melbourne of like, you know, anti-Nazi protests recently. And I was looking at the comment section that ended up on like the wrong side of TikTok. It was real bad and I feel really bad for this creator, but it was just like a bunch of white people being like, oh, bring back Cronella, then we'll see how all oh. of these, like, you know, how all these people function, like with real Nazis around. And then there was also like this trend of all of these people who were like on the right 
mm. talking about how they think everyone like who doesn't want Nazis there are fascists. There seems to be this like, <laughs> like what's going on there? Why are they suddenly calling mm. liberals fascists? I'm seeing it as a yeah, trend. It's just, I think this is like the the right has yeah. has one thing down pat, which is the the ability to appropriate the language of liberation yes. for their own yes. use. Like yes. it is in yes. action yeah. in within like a matter of weeks now that people are really starting to talk about fascism properly. Yeah, yeah. no, it's very like, true. That's yeah, very literally, true. literally when it comes to for instance, the capture of expressions like capture cancel culture. Like the mm -hmm. way that they that they mm -hmm. that they, they, they structure a history of oppression to be able to withstand and like any type of request of redress of mm -hmm. of 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 compensation mm. of even a conversation even a mm -hmm. conversation about inequalities because I think it's almost a self defense mechanism and it's and it's just really interesting like one of the things that i find really interesting in 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 australia from my perception which is a very limited perception of the australian people that i met and with the the things that i read about australia is that like there is a lot of the the idea that because it was a penal colony for a long period of time there is a like there is a history like that the history of oppression that drove it to be a colony is somehow something that puts the people who were who are the descendants of that history of oppression on the same level as the um, <laughs> Sorry. native populations of australia <laughs> you were branded as a thief so wait, therefore you're oppressed so like i let me just paraphrase so part of the national ethos of australia is that they themselves have not that bad yeah not that the, bad. their national ethos makes them perceive themselves to have injustices that remain Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you see the same thing, for instance, in Scotland. And whilst that is a part, and in Ireland as well, and whilst that is a part of historical reality, there are several levels of oppression. For instance, when I see a person from Scotland saying, you know, like, we never oppressed anyone, I was like, dude, you were the motor of imperialism. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the British Empire came out. <laughs> like, yeah. Of the, like, it, it's like, I understand you are you are an oppressed country because you want independence and you're not able to get that independence mm -hmm. and you were conquered and oppressed by the British but there are levels of things so and I find that the conversations people get really prickly when Ooh, so you say <laughs> when you say actually that's fine that's okay I acknowledge your pain but you know like you cannot compare that to a native person who was you know like who was expropriated of their yeah. land and yeah. continues to be and and it and it's and it's interesting because like there is I, I read today an article in the Washington Post that I'll send it to you both later because it's brilliant. It's an article about from a bush a, a book by Josh Hawley, who's like my favorite person to hate at this moment in the United States because <laughs> he is uh, because he was a it's really at hard to pick. I mean we have a lot of <laughs> options here. Yeah, but he had exposure to the British system as well. He was here. Uh, uh, and I just specifically, I just, I just think that he's like I, I do not like people who are like explicit horrible people, but also cowardly when it comes to defense. The the defense of it. It's not that I give plaudits to people who go like, yeah, I'm a racist and assume it, but I don't appreciate people who do things by dog whistles because yeah i don't think and he's just like a it's dog lazy whistle person. say it with your whole fucking chest like if you believe exactly. it fucking say it exactly stand exactly behind your opinions that. don't wear the fucking hood like just Ex <laughs> exactly don't wear the hood if you're proud of it yeah if you yeah. are proud of it yeah. just show your it. fucking face put your name exactly exactly but, but they um, never will because they know they're wrong Exactly. So he did a book about masculinity because, of course, he, he wants to go into that Jordan Peterson yummy money uh, mm. kind of a circle. And and it's like and uh, the, the, the review of the book uh, by the author from The Washington Post was that like 
this guy puts men in a in an impossible situation, which is men are both innately masculine, but masculinity is being attacked from all perspectives. So is masculinity actually kind of something that you are born with and that it's your natural instincts and something that is superior to every other thing? Or is it something that is being attacked at all times and something that is really fragile and something like, like there is no, like, and it's really funny because she goes and picks up every single example in which you're saying, well, you know, like a man have, has to work because in work they find their, their, their purpose and so on and so forth. But a man cannot do unmanly work, which is like caring work. You know, like, because that's not masculine, but also masculinity is unbeatable, like all of these things. And I find that people who live in the West, and I and I include myself in it, and I include all of the people who are brought up into this universalist, picking up on the term that you used before, this universalist idea that we all grew up in, that history was at an end, and that we were, we had a linear history, as you mentioned in your video the other day, Seema, in which we had the linear history that spans, like, this idea of, like, evolution at every single step that took us to today nothing mm. was everything like god doesn't exist but we are predetermined to be here at the same time <laughs> yes yes and, and, yes like god doesn't that, exist like, but i'm a star seed <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and it's like it's this ascending curve and uh so like and, and it puts people in the west and people who are like in really awkward situations in which yeah. they want to see themselves as oppressed because they don't want yeah. to uh, be left out of the zeitgeist of oppression. Mm -hmm. Because for some people, it's a look, it's a zeitgeist. Remember how I told you thing. about like the oppression Olympics that happens in America? Seymour, I've never talked to you about this before because it's, I feel like it's like such a touchy subject in America. But I was, oh, there I was, is the I was messaging Olympics. Elio the other day or I was just kind of like, I've never really put this on the internet, but like in America, like I remember trying to explain to people here that slavery like ended in Australia after it did here. And they're like, but America's the worst. Our government, I'm like, you guys, it's all bad. <laughs> Like whiteness is bad. Everywhere. Our slavery is worse than your slavery. And it's really fascinating because it puts people in, in situations that are interesting and very difficult to defend and very difficult yeah, to yeah. judge. And I kind of don't blame the people. Like I blame them if they use their they like like they, they use that to kind of oppress other people. But I don't blame people for being completely confused because we no. we grow up with this idea of the universalist West. So like, how, how we, would you describe is, the West? Because we had this. Sorry, Sipa. Yes, I'm that's what so, I was just going to ask. Just going to ask. Yeah. Okay. So do so, it. Do it. Brain. So Elio, I'm really curious because we had this conversation where we kind of like sat down to try and really dig into like what the West actually means because it started as a geographical term and now it's kind of morphed into a cultural one. And what I think was really evident from my comment section is how fundamentally kind of confused people are about where they exist in relation to that idea of the West. Not so much about what the West is, but where they exist mm. inside it. I think, I mean... They just don't know. For me, for me, West is whiteness. Yeah. Like, but it's not the small whiteness, it's the big whiteness. It's this idea that we're all coming global to... Global whiteness. Yeah, this global whiteness, which is... Like, we have this system that is associated with whiteness, which is uh, capitalism, rationalism, uh, all of the things that were passed on from Europe. Exactly, enlightenment. Yeah. I hate those. I was going <laughs> to say it's my words. I was <laughs> going can. to say it's my words. You can. This is an Australian produced <laughs> like, podcast. You can swear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, I just hate all of those fuckers. Like, Even I've started <laughs> swearing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, what's the name of that Australian guy? What's his name? Uh, not Australian, that uh, Scottish guy. There are so many of them. But there was one <laughs> who was advocating for slavery. It's not Burke. No, it's it's a very famous uh, uh, philosopher. I don't remember his name now, but it's like a, a light, a, a luminary of the Enlightenment. But slavery is okay. But it's like, I think that it's like the big whiteness, this idea that potentially I am, you know, like not uh, correctly describing it as whiteness because whiteness is many things for many people but it's this idea of this uh, this the set of ideas that come from the west that are associated with that have been associated by people who are from europe with a specific phenotype you know mm -hmm. like because of this whole process of uh 
this whole civilizational in within inverted commas process of bringing uh, enlightenment and better quality of life and the correct form of life to the world. And, and I think that's this is the correct form, and right? The, and yeah, lawns. the correct form. But you know, I, exactly. I, I do wonder. So you're um, from Portugal. Is yeah. the is the West the concept of the West also about English? Speaking I mean, English, being in the English-speaking world? That is really interesting because um, it depends. I think that the concept of the West that we have is profoundly mm -hmm. English. I read this mm -hmm. really fascinating book. It's called, it's by Koja Koram, and it's called, uh, sorry, let me just go and check uh, <laughs> in my list of books because I, I listened to it as an audiobook, and I think uh, it's something called... Uh, Uncommonwealth, Uncommonwealth oh. by Koja Karam. Mm. And it's a really fascinating book because what he does is he, go, he goes, he um, breaks apart uh, the colonialism, like not he breaks apart, he, he puts in the same table the success of colonialism and racism as a standalone problem, but also connected with the uh, legal constructs that aided and abetted and benefited from colonialism, which are like, which are the thing that allows British people to have a detachment from what happened during colonialism and what they did during colonialism. Because during the first colonialist uh, expansion in Britain, it wasn't done by the state because the state raffled off the responsibilities of colonialism to private enterprise. So basically all that they did, it's not just that the people nowadays like are several hands breadth away from the thing that built in their roads and their palaces and their museums and so on and so forth. It's that even at the time, the British state disassociated itself from the violent parts of colonialism. And, and, and it was successful because it helped create the idea of the multinational, of the company that is separated from the state, but benefits the state in some way. Because one of the things that I found from this book, which is amazing, uh, all of these things that the, the, you know, like when you speak about um, uh, cities like uh, in Bristol, wait a second, let me just name, find the name of the, the slave trader, the slave trader from Bristol. Uh, slave trader. Uh, the one you know, whose the statue they took down? Yeah, Edward Colston. Yeah. So Edward Colston. People want to maintain the statue of Edward Colston because he was like, oh my God, he was a philanthropist. He did something for the city, so many things for the, for the city of Bristol. One of the things that I did not know and that I learned from that book was that, so he... Uh, he was uh, a member of the African Consortium or the Africa Company or uh, the African Exploitation Company. I don't remember the name. It was a massive, the Royal African Company, the Royal African Country Company that basically dealt in vast volumes of slave trade. Mm. And one of the fascinating things about it is that he did a lot of charitable works for the city. And that's one of the reasons why the city had so many problems that and institutional racism in throwing away the statues that he had. But what I didn't know is that all of these companies, all of these companies had in their agreement with the state that in, um, in repayment of being granted this ability to do slave trade by uh, the government, they had to do charity work. Basically, so all of these companies, like the East India Company and so on and so forth, the Royal Africa Company, they did a tremendous amount. All of the buildings that they did, they didn't do it because of the charity of the, the charity of their owners. They did it because it was a legal principle of these companies. So we, at this moment, the British public, have an idea of the charitable na nature of these individuals that does not correspond to reality because they actually it was a part of the deal that they had with the state to you know like to be able to exist hmm. and because also. They they popularized this. Uh, the the British also popularized this idea of the privileging of private property that is very appealing to rich people around the world. It yeah. is one of the biggest one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest uh, what's the name um, 
successes of colonization is this idea of private property that was expanded to rich people all over the world because rich people have like of all types all races all groups of people people love manifest destiny exactly (laughs) and they love to be able resources that's mine (laughs) well i think that that's also it's the manifest part yeah and the destiny part it's not that it's mine it's that somehow i've been like it's a right I won the lottery yeah. it's like a lottery yeah. like i i or, but it's not a win the lottery like by just random luck it's like something special about me mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's this the individualism it's this, this confidence idea that you are rich because god wanted you to be rich because mm-hmm. if god didn't perceive you as a person like there's a lot of stuff when it comes to yeah. the british imperialism and especially the narratives around the contemporary narratives around british imperialism that were rooted on the idea that god god bestowed upon england the right mm-hmm. and the the duty like the white man's burden the duty to be able to expand civilization throughout the world so when i think of uh west I think of a modernized, uh, cleaned up idea mm. that is based on all of these separate tenets that include pri- pr- uh, private property, that include all of these ideas of enlightenment, that the, a, a include like cultural, like this idea of universalist culture. Masculinity. And, yeah. All of it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I mean, even West. names, right? Like last names. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about all of the discourse around the West and the disagreement about where the West is and what it exists is that we're having this discourse because we all are in the West. Yeah. Right. Like all of our constructs are built from better or for worse capitalism and enlightenment largely. And Mm -hmm. even these ideas of names like lost names that names give you some sort of uh, place place i was gonna say humanity right like yeah. you have to have a you have to have a birth certificate you have to have like all of these systems and you just said property like that that we yeah. even own things these are all concepts of the west and so i find it fascinating that um people really bristle at the idea of the west while being in the west and arguing in a system of the west it was really it was the I don't know if Elio, you went through the comment section on my video now, now that it's at like 70k views. Oh no, I haven't. <laughs> I have to go back. Because <laughs> you you saw it like really early on when I had people who were like, I think you're confused about what the West means. And I was like, no, my brother in Christ, I'm, I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, now, oh my God, it's like the, it's like the boxing ring that we were talking about before. It's like everyone in there kind of having their understanding of what the West means be something that's more important than like, you know, there's a lot of, there's like older men in there who are like, you're just a race baiter. I'm like, dude. Race race baiter is one of the things that I just like, that is yet another example of white people, specifically racist white people, taking something and just running with it. Despite the fact that they invent, like they invented the practice. They invented the practice of it. Jesus freaking Christ. I guess like if I was race baiting, wouldn't I be trying to upset like people of color, not white people? Yeah, like what's, that's what I was gonna say. What is race baiting mean? I don't know. I don't think they know. I just don't even think he knew what I was saying. Because I thought race baiters Um, is when somebody like a white person gets, wants to like incite people of color or am i wrong is it no, people no, who no, are no. trying to incite their right. own that that's that's what it is but what oh, they what they, by what they say is like if you speak about race if you speak about race it's like the, that idea if you speak about your race you're a racist like oh, because you are mentioning it and yeah. race beta is right. like we, we had recently we had a tremendously ridiculous uh, race relations report here in the uk that had an introduction that said we potentially shouldn't be seeing chattel slavery as a this horrible thing only <laughs> i mean it also was a cultural exchange and everyone in the uk is... <laughs> no, but a cultural was, exchange yeah it was it was oh. it was it was it was it was it was wild so one of the people who was a part of that um of that much maligned much maligned report uh was 
uh, that was criticized by all equality, you know, like institutions here in the UK, black people, like like everyone was pissed off because of it. So he was hired by the BBC because, of course, he would be to do another like sweeping analysis on race in the BBC. And he was like, yeah, this, this report, um, the the this report was much maligned because people didn't read it and they uh, and they. They were, I think he said something on the lines like they were the victims of the race baiters and the 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 racism industry, which is all of us people who speak about racism, because they didn't they didn't find the the, the they didn't reach the type of conclusions that we that like that they that the 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 woke people wanted them to 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 reach, like now there's this whole industry that's dedicated and um, apparently gains a lot of money and so on and so forth and influence because they speak about race all the time and they invent problems when there are none. Which makes me want to punch people in the face when I hear people no, say this. Okay. But you know what, like, so, 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 you know, like if you're in a relationship and you have some sort of flaw in your relationship, like something drives you crazy, not talking about it doesn't make that flaw go away, right? Mm -hmm. Like what mm -hmm. actually happens is you have a massive argument and breakup. Yeah. If we don't talk about race, it doesn't make those problems go away. Do these people not have had, had enough experiences as humans to realize avoiding a problem doesn't make the problem go away? That's like no, what Australia is. That's like how it functions in Australia. It's just people sticking their fucking heads in the sand. It yeah, doesn't I mean... work, though. That's how you have race riots. No, I know. <laughs> I know. That's like why yeah. we're reaching a pressure point again. Uh, I think the, the whole situation is very tragic. It's very oh. tragic. I mean, uh, I, to be honest, I don't like this, this, this week I had a moment of not despair because I don't despair about these things anymore, strangely, which potentially is also not very good for me and I need to see a therapist. Uh, but it was a, a moment of like, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, a football player in Spain that again was uh Heckled with monkey noises in the middle I did of the see stadium. Yeah, I mean, and it's and he, he walked off, right? Yeah, no, he was expelled. <laughs> he was expelled with the red card, of course, because apparently there was. Oh, this, he didn't like, like show like, enough decorum the, the kid... in his response or something. Yeah, and there was this, you know, like when you have a whole stadium making monkey noises at you, uh, you potentially are not in the correct frame of mind, and there's someone who grabbed him from the neck, and he just lashed out, and of course, of course. you know, like. Uh, and and it's you know like when I see the lack of discussion that like the lack of discussion I think that I have sometimes the negative the, the negative view that potentially I won't see the the solution to all of this <laughs> like I will potentially contribute to it to the solution as much as I can but I won't see the end of it and we are not going to see the end of it until there are which there I think there are going to be there there are going to be more consequences of this because people are not willing to have this conversation. People no. are still not willing. They're not. And they're it, not. And, it, and even and even when you speak with people who are white and who are liberal, you still get pushback because I get yeah. that all the time. Oh, from they're, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Because they they only they want cookies. They want us to say they're doing great. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly, but I I think like when I when I see situation when I see situations like what happened in Spain, but even like all the many things I've seen happen to black people in life, you know, just just living their lives, I always mm -hmm. think one of the things that really proves the West exists is that we don't have true retaliation. Like if you think about the numbers, there's sure a lot more black people than any other people in the world right africa is an enormous continent mm -hmm. and that and that we don't that the kind of indignities that black people and, and in the states largely i mean like definitely black women particularly have mm. is sort of astonishing and yet we still have a civil society like that's yeah. astonishing and to me like that i i don't know yeah but the shoe on the so if that had happened to a white man yeah, no, what no, would no, have happened, be... right? What would have yeah, happened? Yeah. There would have been some kind of they, those are the guys who like are turning over cars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's and it's 
it is the sense of like that's where you see where the institutional power lies because yeah. who has the monopoly who has the monopoly of violence in this situation well, this is like one of the reasons that i think my west video upset so many liberals right and i deliberately say liberals here because mm. i think that what it did was it kind of pointed out to a lot of people and i said this in our last recording I think it pointed out to a lot of people that they are ideologically closer to like the Nazi gathering in regional Victoria than they are to like actually being progressive. And I, I, th I also think it's really important for me to be clear that I don't think I'm separate from these people. Like, I don't want to be that person who comes onto a podcast with people of color. I'm like, I'm the good white one. Cause that's just not true. <laughs> like, it's just not how it functions. Mm -hmm. Like, I just acknowledge in myself that I'm willing to sit down and like actually think about these things and how they function in myself and my own behavior. Whereas I think that there are a lot of people who either don't want to or don't know how. But I'm, I mostly think it's the former. I don't know if they yeah, don't it's... know how. Oh, I don't think they want to. I think they don't know how. And I don't think that they think they have to. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Because they're it's liberal, true. so they don't like, have to. I totally, I remember coming to art school and I was talking to one girl who moved from Korea. And I was talking about how I spent like, when I decided that I was going to apply for grad school and come to America, I was like, oh, I need to learn more about like race relations and how to be a white person in a different country that is not my country. Because like, that's a different experience of navigating space. And I remember talking to this girl and she was just like, wow, you really like did your research about like how people are here. And I was like, yeah, man, I like, it was important for me to understand how like people were going to be responding to me in space. Mm -hmm. Cause like, yeah, I represent a very distinct kind of whiteness in the world which is like one that people don't really know enough about and they don't realize how much influence Australian whiteness has mm. like in the idea of the West. Though, I mean, I think, you know, part of the challenge also is how other minorities like Asians often, and it, this is very different, I would say in the UK than in the US, but that we have often profited off of the idea of the West in America as the model minority. And a lot of Indian Americans try to play the POC card, but with, inc and, and our, you know, Indian Americans, South Asian Americans are one of the most liberal minorities in the US in terms of voting, um, but they're not necessarily liberal in terms of their racial politics. And so mm. they want to play mm. both sides of it. Mm. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned this because today I read an article about um God, what's her name? Oh, sorry, my brain is just on jelly. Nikki She's Haley. The Nikki Haley. Read an article about Oof. Nikki Haley and her. the process. I I understand. <laughs> like it's difficult not to. No, it's true. Because her father, like she is she's a really interesting case because it was all about the process of taking down the confederate flag yes. at the state capital and uh so basically and it was how she represented it and how it actually happened so and it's interesting to to see her story because the reason why she is in the u.s in the first place was because her father was a um I think he was a biology teacher in a historical black college so he was hired yeah. from yeah to 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 come to the us which was something that i did not know and so it was the whole process of taking the flag down in which basically throughout her campaign period she was promising the sons of the you know like those organizations like the sons of the the confederacy blah 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 that yeah, yeah. she's she was never going to take the 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 flag down and so on and so forth and it's and it's interesting because it's not at the end of the day it's not saving her from the backlash that she's receiving oh absolutely from changing her name doesn't make her not indian i mean the thing for me about a lot of indian americans so she's like a little bit older than me but we're the same generation i've said this before but my family came in my my so a lot of people came in when her dad and my dad came in because they needed, um, there was a lot of urban places that needed uh, doctors, professors, engineers, 
and that these were people who were willing to live with and work with black people which is why i grew up in a in a largely black community it was black and jewish actually and um and so and you know who another person who's like this is bobby jindal so we but because we were you know descended but they came from largely not Nikki Haley's family, but a lot of people came in fairly middle class, right? Because they had to be educated. You had to have a degree. I think Nikki Haley's mm. family is a little bit different, but uh, he was educated. He had a degree, but I don't know if he was, I, w I don't know that he, her father was raised middle class. Um, but then what happened was they decided after that, like Nikki Haley, we're not going to stay within this community that has supported us and helped us raise this money. We're just going to completely turn away from it. And both Bobby Jindal and Nikki Haley have done that. And other there's other Indian Americans who are in Trump's. Vivek, Vivek Rabaswamy. Yeah, yeah. Like and, that. and Ajit Pai, who's sadly vaguely, yeah. vaguely related to me. Um, he doesn't know me from Adam, thankfully. Uh, but like, you know, they've just turned their back on the fact that we were here because we were part because because of our race. Right. Like we were mm. actually here because we were willing to be with black communities. It's it's just it's like, disgusting. But it, and yeah. and it's and it's again the, the 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 way that the West wins. For instance, I was yes like I was seen uh, by a lot of people as a success because I am the I was the poster boy for the victory of the West. I mm -hmm. am a black kid whose parents are you know like refugees and i grew up quite poor but i can speak about jane austen and shakespeare and so on and so forth and i can sit in an opera and like i imbued all of the practices and i find this with a lot of because here in the uk you have a really fascinating thing which is like a combination of class systemic racism exists and systemic classism exists as well and you are tolerated in certain spaces mm -hmm. and even accepted because there is a perception here that overt racism is uh, not polite <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not um Overt racism is not something that polite society does for now. Uh, so the because the the English class system is really interesting because in the 19th century they accepted a lot of American money by American brides to basically sustain all, the, all of those, you know, like stately homes of noble people that were just, you know, like uh, bankrupt, like the the Spencer Churchills and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm to be able to maintain their fortunes. And at this moment, what you can see with people like Rishi Sunak, with people Ugh, like Swella Braverman. Yeah, like with all Rishi of the Sunak, my dad was like, he's just a Trumper. He's an Indian Trumper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think what yeah. you're, what I'm hearing, and I hadn't really thought of it this way. I think in some ways people speak, so you said, you know, you're, you're a black person who has, you know, read Shakespeare and whatever. In some ways, I do think as a person of color in the States, at least, a lot of things that happen, we have to decide, we have to negotiate the politics of our choices and then our personal desires. Like I grew up loving indie music, but one of the few like people of color who liked indie music. I had, to, I listened to a lot of hip hop because that's what everyone listened to around me. Did you see that on your live the other day where someone was like, the music doesn't match the person? Oh, I saw that. I was that like, was that was so, so funny. Weird. So I was playing, but I was playing hip hop, 90s hip hop. And there, I was like, huh, that's weird because I, it did to me match the person. But, but my point is that I think that for one thing that you're, you know, you just said, Haley, is that, that there's you, you were a success because you took their norms. But then as a person, you also think about that dissonance, right, about your race and your choices and whatever. I wonder if part of the discomfort for white people is that they've never had to have that kind of uh, thought about themselves and the politics of their choices. No, it's true. It's true. No, no but I, I think like. I think in my case, the reason why my indoctrination was a success is uh -huh. because I only started thinking about these choices after after I was like smacked in the face uh, with institutional racism. So it was within like, you, like it became Yeah, because, because one of the problems, exactly, one of the problems that I had, like, because people speak about switching codes, I don't switch codes. This is, this is just because I flattened everything out. Like there was 
uh, time in my life, there was a moment in my life where I started receiving, like I received plaudits and I received mm. incentives from the society around me because I was very good at school. I was very good, you know, like I was like used somehow as a kid, as a poster boy for like, this is- Look like, at how well black... you can assimilate. Exactly. Look at yeah. it. And because of that, I like, I went through a period which was very difficult for me and that, uh, you know, like I'm still start trying to sort it out. I mean, I, mean, I stopped sorting it out because that is who I am now and that is it but there was a, a moment in my life when I was profoundly depressed in which because I started questioning it's like do I like what I like because I like it or do I like what I like because it was expedient yes, for me that's at what one I particular to point in time exactly. to be able to, yes. to to be able to get to to but it, but I but it is like when I have this discussion now with this, with sets of groups of friends of mine, I have white people who get very uncomfortable with it mm -hmm. because exactly of that reason of, yeah. of, of, of that because I had people praise me and praise me honestly, like praise me with like sentiments that because I know so much about all of these things that are dear to their hearts. You know, like all of these things that they structurally believed were the best things in the world. Like I remember having a conversation with a really good friend uh, who was just like, who, who said, oh, you know, like I was just thinking that Jane Austen was just like the best uh, female writer of her time. And there, you know, like, and there is, and potentially the best female writer that we've had until that point. And I was like, you do realize that there is a world that doesn't speak English, right? Like, along with Jane Austen, who has, you know, like plaudits to her, she has the work, her work is really interesting. But there are a lot of women who wrote at this particular point in time that are not based here. And they yeah. were like, and they were like perplexed, like at my reaction, at my reaction of saying, it's like, why are you saying this? And I was just saying, you can't say that something is the best in the world. You can say that that person was the best English writer of her generation. Or if you want to, if you believe so, she was the best English writer who was a woman that existed. Fine. But you cannot say that you, like, she was the best writer in the world because the world is not confined to, like, and they were like, but could you tell me some names of some of the people? And oh, I was like, I, 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 I rattled off some names yeah. like that I had, like of Portuguese authors that existed mm -hmm. at that, that particular time. And that I thought, and that I thought that are frankly better because they wrote about different subjects in a different, like I spoke about, you know, like the Japanese uh, uh, authors like Sei Shonagon mm -hmm. and so on and so forth that existed that created, or the the, the Lady Murasaki who invented like novels with the tale of Genji and so on. Like, mm -hmm. like, and ours, but, but, but it's like at the end of the day, I do not need, I shouldn't need to give this example of a, to a person who lives in the West, because we need to acknowledge that the world, like just the the possibility that one person is the best in the world at s some type of cultural production is insane. Like yeah. because well, the idea history... of the best, the best itself yeah. <laughs> is a Western concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. What's it's like how Joe was saying in our last episode about this. There's like the individualism that is afforded to mm -hmm. white people in the Western mm -hmm. system and the Western thinking, whereas like every other kind of like culture or ethnicity or like person who represents a community, because you have to represent your community as like a person of color in the art world and in the world, right? Like you can't just be like a white person who gets to walk around not representing everyone who is like you, and you yeah. end up like so exhausting yeah <laughs> so there's like you're only allowed to be like a rep like a part of a culture like as a person of color in these spaces rather than just a fucking person that's the that's the thing and i do think i mean we're near the end of the time so it's a good probably segue to talk about our um some media that we loved this week and a media recommendation but yeah. when i think about that um i think about how much of the media that i re read and i i almost never read white male authors but just that's by taste probably than anything else but my recommendation <laughs> oh, <sorry>. yeah. <laughs> i mean i'm exactly the same person yeah. like i've I, i've taken to heart this idea of yeah. let's decolonize that's exactly like, me. Our... absolutely but 
but uh, the, the 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 book I'm sort of recommending is one that I had a kind of a challenge with, which is uh, Jesse Sutanano Sutan. Sutanto. See, I suffered through, but I See, sounded it out. Sounded out. <laughs> I sounded it out. So, uh, Sutanto's book, Vera Wong's Unsolicited mm-hmm. Advice for Murder, and it's a, it's just, it's a murder mystery um, that takes place in Chinatown in San Francisco, and it's about these Chinese American people who are like older, so they maybe, maybe like. I don't know, she might be like 60 or 70. And, mm-hmm. but I was thinking a lot about this book and how I wanted to love it because I like to support, you know, anything Asian American, but it also really played into certain stereotypes of being Asian American. And it was one of those books where it was still kind of performing Asianness for a mm. broad audience. And I found myself in that situation that I think a lot of people of color do when you try to support your people, but it's also like problematic. You know, well, it's mm-hmm. like it's like a representation of culture, like for white consumption, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. And it's like sometimes it's but hard. That's like to what enjoy publishers it. push you into, right? Right, right, right. But it's yeah. like yeah. it's hard for you to. It's, it's sometimes really hard for me to enjoy it. But at the same time, I really wanted to enjoy it, and then I pushed yeah. myself to do it. It was actually. I mean, it's an enjoyable book. What I liked, like, if I could get past that annoyance about it, it was there was like a. It was kind of cute, and um, it didn't have a ending like a. The ending was one of those ones that isn't happy. It's not unhappy. It was just sort of unresolved, which mm. is actually not very Western. Not American. Not, yeah, not very American not very at Western. all. So I appreciated that. <laughs> what about you all? Did you have a recommendation for this week before we sign off? I do, actually. Go, go. Uh, it's one short story and one book. The short story is freely available online, and it's uh it's an alternate universe. The writer is a Black American writer called P. Jelly Clark. This alternate universe in which there is a fusion of steampunk and gin uh, 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 and, uh, mythology that happened in Egypt in the turn of the century. And that turned Egypt into the, the, the driving motor. Yes, exactly that the driving motor of the, the, the developed world because of a mixture of steampunk magic and you see the world through the perspective of a woman detective who's uh, a lesbian and Same. it is just incredible and there's this book there's this story which is about the the death of an angel and it follows up to another book uh, to the, his main book called a master of the Jinn. and these books are just really incredible and are a part of a super intricate imagine like imagining of what the world would have been like if the winners of the race to colonization or if the 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 the, the winners of the race uh, the the race to colonization had been stopped dead in their tracks mm. Mm. and the 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 you know like and parts of for instance from the united states parts of uh the middle east parts of India were able to flourish in a different way. And because it has a an element of magic that I really love and it has a sapphic Sounds lead, awesome. who's an amazing kick-ass. Yeah. You should read that book. Sounds amazing. Because it's 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 really it's a really good exercise in the imagination. So mm. yeah. Right on. Um I suppose my media recommendation, I think I've recommended this before, but I've come back to it. Uh I've just back on bell hooks all about love it's like an eternal recommendation really um and just kind of like coming back to how to be a person (laughs) (laughs) um and you know and how to how to do that like outside of many of the social constructs that i was fed as a child growing up in what i refer to as like where the west goes to eat itself alive No, I'm serious. That's a great line to end with. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just, I'm begging you to go and look up the lyrics to Waltzing Matilda, which is like Australia's song that it sings when it's jovial and and Uh... when white Australians are feeling happy. Um, it was a big part of last week's episode. So, um, thank you very much for being here. 
Elio. Thank you very much and for having me. Having it was you really again. fun. We love chatting with repeat. you every time. And make sure everybody else, because he will no doubt show up again, and you will not know mm -hmm. unless you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can also follow hit us. Those hit those buttons. You can also follow us at Artlust Podcast. We love when you email Apparently. us. <laughs> we really have to make that TikTok page. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> Well, you know what? That doesn't exist, but our email address does. Artlesspodcast sure at gmail.com. We love your feedback and your suggestions. We'll take sponsorship offers. We'd be happy to wear any brand logo um, sure. as we're doing this. Pride month is coming up. Just oh, it FYI, is. People we look great there. in rainbow. We look great in I, rainbow. <laughs> uh, not about me, but I'm sure you do. <laughs> I think we can. We will think we look great in rainbow if you want to sponsor us. Mm. Um, you, can, you can pay to see us get washed out. That'd so follow <laughs> us, follow Seema at Artlust, A-R-T-L-U-S-T. Follow Elio at, what's your username? Jupiter Ball, yeah. Jupiter Ball at, in TikTok. Yeah, and Ball has two A's, right? Yes. Yeah. And you can follow me, Darkroom Varmint. Darkroom like you'd expect, and V-A-R-M-I-N-T. God, I really trapped myself in doing that for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, you know what? That's that's the closest I'll ever get to having like the experience of to tell people my name. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye friends. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Bye.